Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to Life Point Plus. I'm your host, Gary Moore. We are continuing with our study on communication, and we're using Dr. H. Norman Wright's book, Communication Key to Your Marriage, as a basis for our discussion. When we closed last week's broadcast, we were talking about the effect of social media, and specifically Facebook, on our marriages. When participating in an online social network, recognize that there are potential threats to your relationship. The ultimate threat is not the latest technology. It is the choices you make online and offline. And for this reason, Dr. Wright says that it is important to follow a few basic rules when posting any information to an online social networking site. The first one we looked at was don't post anything negative about your spouse. Remember what Jason and Kelly Krafsky said, What happens on Facebook does not stay on Facebook. And when married people do questionable things on Facebook, it can negatively impact their marriage. The second one we looked at was to be smart about the people with whom you confide. And finally, don't friend an ex, even if it was just an emotional connection. Jason Krafsky offers this advice on how to deal with this type of issue. He says, We had been on Facebook for several months before Kelly and I decided not to be Facebook friends with people we had any sort of an intimate or emotional past with. When a friend request does come in from someone who meets that criteria, before clicking ignore, I send a message like this. Hey, thanks for the friend request. Some time back, my wife and I talked and decided that neither of us would connect with past partners or love interests on Facebook. So, in honor of my wife and marriage, I'm not able to accept your friend request. I hope you understand and don't take it personally. I wish you the best for your life. Best, Jason. Limit your time online. While social networking sites are becoming some of the most popular gathering places on the Internet, they don't have to be a threat to your marriage. Marriages become vulnerable to online and real-life threats because couples fail to set up the proper boundaries of protection and accountability. Dr. Wright says he has seen many marriages impacted by a spouse spending too much time texting as well as sending inappropriate content. For this reason, it is important to set limits on time spent online. Your marriage needs this time. Be discerning about what you put on social networking sites, whether it's information or photos. Be reserved and professional. Be completely honest when describing yourself and pick your friends carefully. Remember, it's not how many you have, but who you have. Would you want the person as a friend in real life? And don't give virtual hugs and kisses or gifts. These should be reserved for your spouse. Technology does change relationships for good or bad. When God said in Genesis 2.18, 
that it was not good for man to be alone, he was not talking about connecting via Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media site. He was talking about interpersonal, face-to-face communication. So limit your time online and spend that time in person-to-person communication with your spouse. Well, now let's shift emphasis some and talk about speaking your spouse's language. Perhaps the best way to illustrate this is to relate a story that Dr. Wright uses in his book. A young couple came in for premarital counseling. After the preliminary introductions, Sue, Mark, and Dr. Wright plunged into their topics. This young, alert, and eager couple wanted to build a marriage that would last and that would be fulfilling for both of them. About halfway into the session, Dr. Wright looked at them and said, I think it's about time to let you know something before we go any further. He paused, noticing that he definitely had their attention. I'd be remiss if I didn't share this with you early in our time together. The person seated across from you, the one you're about to marry, look at that individual right now. They turned and looked at each other with puzzled expressions. I just want you to remember, he continued, that person is a foreigner. You're going to be marrying a foreigner. He paused and let that statement sink in. They looked at him and then back at each other. Sue raised her eyebrows as she faced Mark. Mark turned to Dr. Wright and asked, What are you talking about, marrying a foreigner? Dr. Wright replied, Just what I said. Mark looked back at Sue and then Dr. Wright. What do you mean? We're both from this country. His voice took a staccato beat. In fact, we couldn't be much better matched or more alike. We were both born and raised in California. We're both white. Our parents were born and raised in this country, and so were their parents. How are we foreigners? Dr. Wright said, Well, this comes as a shock to most couples, and I do share this with almost everyone I work with now. You and Sue are similar, but you were raised in different homes with different parents, siblings, and experiences, and in effect, different cultures. You may eat the same types of food, but they were prepared differently. You have different customs, different rituals in your families, different beliefs and values, and you each learned a different language. You even have a different dictionary. If you want to have the kind of marriage you described to me, your biggest task is going to be to learn about the other person's culture, to develop the flexibility to be comfortable with either set of customs, and above all, to learn your partner's language so you can speak it. Mark, Dr. Wright asked, Do you and your family understand one another when you talk? Do you see what each person is saying? Sure, he replied. We make sense to each other. Then Dr. Wright asked Sue, Do you and your family understand each other when you share together? Are you in touch with each other? Yes, said Sue. We always are. I get along, especially with Mom. Dad, I must admit, doesn't always say too much. I wish he would. 
He's brief and to the point and gives very little detail. At times, I feel we have to drag information out of him. When he does talk, he sounds like a newspaper reporter giving a condensed version of the daily news. He just gives the facts. I don't know when I've heard Dad share his feelings. That's frustrated Mom over the years, too, but Mom and I really click. It's important that we learn not only to speak the same language, but also to make sure we mean the same thing with our words. Based on your families of origin and your life experiences, your mindset and what you intend, you could be using some of the same words, but you may have different meanings for them. Let me give you a couple of examples that you can probably identify with. My wife might ask, uh, could we stop at the store for a minute on our way home? I'll just be a minute. I might take the word minute literally, but I'd better not. Years of experience have taught me that we're talking about more than a literal minute. Or guys, your wife wears a new outfit and asks you how it looks. And all you say is, it looks fine. So what's fine mean anyway? From her point of view, you probably say fine for everything. She's looking for more details. In her mind, she has a definition of fine that she either grew up with or has adopted through life experiences. On a scale of 1 to 10, it's a certain number. Let's say it's a 4 to 5. And you have your definition of fine that you grew up with or have adopted through your life experiences. And on your 1 to 10 scale, it is in the 7 to 8 range. You use the same word but you definitely mean something different. Now, in addition to learning each other's language and the differing meanings of the same words, Dr. Wright says to consider this. We have three main senses, hearing, seeing, and feeling. These are part of our learning styles and communication styles. We prefer one to the other two for perceiving life, storing our experiences, making decisions, and connecting with others. How do we discover which sense we prefer? Well, Dr. Wright says that it's your choice of words that gives it away. You may be an auditory-oriented husband or wife. You tend to depend upon spoken words for information, and you use auditory words. That sounds good to me. Let's talk about this again. People seem to tune him in when he's talking. I hear you clear as a bell. Tell me a little more about it. If you're visual-oriented, you use your eyes to perceive the world and you use visual images in remembering and thinking. You also use visual words. I see what you're saying. That looks good to me. I'm not too clear on this right now. That sheds a new light on the problem. Do you pick up my perspective? If you're a kinesthetically oriented individual, you tend to feel your way through your experiences. Your feelings sort both what you experience inside as well as what comes at you from the outside. And these feelings determine your decisions. A kinesthetic spouse uses phrases such as these. 
I can't get a handle on this. I've got a good feeling about this process. Well, our time is gone for today. And as I close, I want to encourage you to attend one of the many Bible-believing and teaching churches here in the Treasure Valley. If you don't have a home church, we'd love to have you visit us. Our services at Cloverdale Church of God are Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. And we're located at 3755 South Cloverdale Road. That's between Victory and Amity. Have a great weekend. God bless. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.org. To know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening and be blessed.